The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest the first half hour is Jeffrey Small. He's the president at Arbor Financial, uh, which is a financial planning and retirement-oriented firm based in Melbourne, Florida. Welcome to the show, Jeffrey. Hey, Jordan. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. Let's just start with your background a little bit uh, and what it was leading into forming your own firm. Well, sure. Well, I started with a major wirehouse broker in the inception of my career back in the middle 80s, and of course, that's where everybody kind of cuts their teeth. And after doing that for four or five years, I discovered that if I was independent, I could do a much better job for our customers and prospective customers. And that would enable me to have really the universe of options that exist, as opposed to being maybe force-fed or told what to market or promote on a product basis while working for a major firm. Okay, so tell me about your clientele and what kind of things do you help them with? Well, sure. Our clientele really is um, anybody over 50, near retirement or in retirement, and we really specialize in showing people how to do maximum income planning, maximum income generation uh, on a pre-retirement basis and on a post-retirement basis. So you talk about yourself being uh, somebody who teaches the art of financial self-defense. What do people need to defend themselves against that you're teaching them about? Well, you know, there's a, there's a huge amount of information that's been suppressed. And, and if you look at, and in my industry, in the financial services realm, Jordan, uh, most folks have no idea what information they really need to have. And so our culture has groomed them to believe that, you know, risk is the panacea, and the only way they can make money is if they have risk. And that's just not the case. The second thing it's done is it really doesn't teach them what market cycle we're in. And so folks really have to modernize their portfolio. They have to modernize their money to reflect the cycle that we're in. If they don't do that, they can have a very opposite effect, which normally puts them up for a loss. And so if we look at the long-term prospects of the market, you know, the market runs in long-term cycles. This is a rocket science. Most market historians will tell you that you know, the market runs in 14 to 20-year cycles, either up or either down. And so I think what we do is we educate our customers on how to advocate for themselves to understand what the market cycle is and how to modernize their money so they don't end up getting into the market or making a bad decision at a current market peak. And where do you think we are in the current market cycle? Well, I think we're at the top end of the range here. Um, We have a whole host of massive, what I would call, uh, risk-adverse earning signals in the market. You know, we are in a corporate earnings recession. We're down 5% year-over-year in gross revenue. Uh, on the S&P 500 companies, 20 out of the 30 Dow stocks have negative revenue year over year. 16 of them have negative earnings year over year. So eventually, those corporate earnings tailwinds will become headwinds for the economy. Now, you talk about uh, a market cycle, stock market cycle of what you call non-performance. What do you mean by that, and where are we in the cycle of that uh, right now? Well, you know, that's kind of a term that I've coined, a non-performing stock market. And, you know, really, it, it revolves around the fact that our economy and the global economy really has been overly financially engineered. 
um, you know, hence this money printing. We have something called quantitative easing that's been going on since 2009. And we printed up $5 trillion and the global community is printing up around $10 trillion. The global community is still printing up money. And so they wouldn't be printing up all this money if the economies of the world were growing and didn't need such an assist. So it's almost like putting it on steroids, so to speak. But if we look at Japan as a study, Japan was the very first country to do quantitative easing in 2000. They were the first country to go to 0% interest rates in 1990 when the Nikkei peaked. And so if we look at that graph for the last 25, 26 years, they have negative appreciation in their stock market for the last 25, 26 years because they've overly engineered it. Hence, we are going to be entering into the same type of phase economically since we are only 8 to 10 years behind their monetary cycle. We are now doing the same thing that they've done, and we're creating an environment where the markets will no longer grow for the next 5 to 15 years. They'll be range-bound, hence the advent of a non-performing stock market. Had you been the head of the Federal Reserve in America or the Bank of Japan or European Central Bank, would you have not done quantitative easing? You think that was the wrong thing to do? Or what would have been your alternative? Well, quantitative easing had to be done. Um, the first round of it was around $1.2 trillion in March of 2009, and it funded the bailout, the TARP, the stimulus, the unemployment extension, and all the extra, sp- uh, all the extra um, expenses on the budget that we had that year. That really had to be done, because if we wouldn't have done that, we would have literally gone into a Great Depression. Um, should they have continued to do quantitative easing beyond QE1? No, because we've had four rounds of QE, and now the Fed is really kind of fresh out of what I would call maneuvering, other than going to negative rates, which Janet Yellen said will be on the table if we go into recession. In January in a meeting, she said that. And so there's really no movement for the Fed at this point other than do more QE, which is crazy, or to go negative. Um, so I think they should have stopped after QE1 and let the markets recover on their own as opposed to putting them on life support via quantitative easing. So we have this huge negative interest rates around the world, in Europe, in Japan, other places. Uh, what is, are the impacts of that on the economy? And then since you're dealing with retirees on savers who want to earn a decent yield on their money without taking a lot of risk. Well, that's a really good point, Jordan. I think that as Europe does their own money printing and China and Japan do it as well, it's really having an adverse effect on their stock markets. And to be honest with you, um, you know, Europe is down around 15% on their major market indexes in Paris and London and Germany. You know, Hong Kong is still down 30 to 35%. Japan's down 22%. And the, and the weirdest part about it is they're actually doing active money printing. And so we had this hot and passionate love affair with quantitative easing where the markets rose dramatically uh, since, you know, 2009. And now they've kind of hit this epic point of plateau financially. And now they've, they've, they've resurrected QE and done it more globally. And it's, it's not really facilitating growth in the stock market, which is a very scary time. So if you're an investor, we are entering, and you are witnessing firsthand if you look at your own money, if you're pre-retiree, post-retiree, the performance are the advent of a non-performing market. That's where we're just at the inception of it, and that will continue. So what, what investors really have to do today, Jordan, is they have to relook at how much risk they should really have at this market peak and this kind of enge- overly engineered market environment. And so what we look like to focus on really for them is yields. They really need to focus on yields and how to get interest and how to average a decent rate of growth, 5 to 6%. That needs to be what they need to be dependent upon as opposed to market appreciation. Okay, so if they're going to focus on 5 to 6% yields, you were earlier saying that particularly retired people are taking too much risk. They're going out the risk spectrum to get yield, yet it sounds like you're suggesting that they do that in order to get 5 or 6%. How do you get 5 or 6% in today's world without taking too much risk? 
Well, um, you know, that's a really good question. And it seems to be like it's a great mystery. Um, you don't ever hear anybody talk about it. None of the talking heads talk about it on TV. If you call Fidelity up and open up an account and ask them for a 5% yield, they can't do it for you. But yet we're doing it every day for our customers. And we're using a dynamic uh, of five or six different programs to do that. Um, you know, we really consider these non-traditional fixed income, but they are what we call non-volatile issues that aren't really going to have the excessive range of loss if, if and when the market decides to take a hit and go south. You know, we like things like preferred stocks. There's great preferred stocks in the financial and insurance arena that are paying over 6% today. That's a great yield. Very little volatility, very little uh, fluctuation in share price over the long term. We know it affects preferred stocks, though, from a risk perspective, is interest rates, high inflation, and, of course, corporate risk. So we want to measure those and make sure we filter those out on a regular basis to make sure someone doesn't get hurt. Next thing would be investment-grade bonds, and then maybe one letter below investment-grade. Uh, we can find good rates at 5% on some good select bonds, but bonds are tough to come by today. There's a lack of liquidity in the bond market, just like there is in the stock market right now, and they're being sucked up. So a lot of inflows in non-volatile sections, especially in the two components I've mentioned. Then, of course, there's some rates that are pretty good that have good metrics, um, BDCs, and sometimes, depending upon what somebody's potential financial objectives are or concerns, annuities can work as well. So BDC is a business development company. Just tell us briefly about what some of the ones are that you like and, and why you like that sector? Well, there's several BDCs we like, but the one thing that we like is to get into a company that has a large degree of low turnover in their loans. Good, they're, they're, they're basically investing in senior notes only, and they've got a good track record, uh, low loan losses. And so we have a number of stocks that we like in that particular space. Um, I can be happy to email you a list, or we could talk about that on a current show, but I don't have the list in front of me at this time. Okay, no problem. Um, and do you like doing individual bonds uh, or funds, either open-end or closed-end, if you're doing the uh, corporate bonds you talked about? Well, we really like individual bonds. Uh, we like to be able to vet the companies from the bottom up. I believe that we're in a bottom-up market now. If you're investing from the top down, where you're just picking a sector or an index, unless you're in consumer staples, which are going to continue to do well, most other sectors are kind of taking on the shorts. Uh, but the reality is we vet companies from the bottom up. We're not in a top-down market. And how about international? There are higher yields available overseas in many cases because they have weak currencies. Is that something that uh, is appealing to you, or is that too dangerous? I really think international is too dangerous. Um, if you look at the macro data in most of the international decent economies, it's not nearly as good as the, as the United States. So I think we, you know, we, there's no real reason for us to head offshore yet until things turn around economically in Europe and in Asia. Okay. And now you mentioned annuities. So when are annuities appropriate and when are they not appropriate? Annuities can be very appropriate for folks that have finite assets that need to create maximum income at some point in time if they've got three to five years or longer to defer to allow that money to grow. They can be great tools in that sense. They can also be great tools uh, in trying to create uh, what I call a par value on their money, where they're pulling out the required distributions for IRAs, or they're pulling out a flat percentage, and they want to guarantee there's going to be some money left for one of their loved ones, like a spouse or their kids. And do you like fixed annuities or variable or index annuities? What kind of annuities, if, if it's appropriate, would you like? Well, I think we look at the income planning annuities, which obviously aren't variable annuities. Variable annuities have risk and extremely high fees, um, and, and the guarantees there just aren't worth what they're charged. So we like income annuities that, are, that circumvent around indexed annuity chassis. Are there some specific companies you tend to deal with in those income annuities? 
there's a number of companies. There's over 630 different products in that realm, Jordan. And what we really look for are the top one or two or three income planning annuities or the top one, two, or three accumulation-based annuities. And the accumulation-based indexed annuities really give us 100% of the growth of the market and none of the risk. And we like to have those reset on a 12-month rolling basis as opposed to a longer basis. Those appear to be the most attractive at this market juncture. Then there are income annuities that guarantee you a rate of income growth of 7% or more. Uh, that varies from company to company, but if we get 7% compounded, obviously, for 10 years, we're almost double the money. Um, and then their income can be based on that figure at some point. So they're a unique fit. They're a piece of the puzzle. It's not the whole puzzle, but we have to make sure the puzzle fits. So we have to quantify that type of a program to make sure it makes sense and fits the client's objective. And so what are some of the companies that are at the top 1% in both the income annuities and the accumulation annuities you mentioned that you'd like to deal with? Well, there's a number of different companies. There's Security Benefit Life, American Equity, Allianz Life. You know, I, I think it depends on what the customer is specifically looking for and how much interest they want to generate. So is it a case where if you take more risk, you're going to get higher yields? No. No, these are guaranteed outcome products where the company is actually going to pay a specific interest rate to generate income at some distant point in the future. Some paying some pay a uh, a rate of growth on the death benefit as well. So we correlate those with what the client wants to actually accomplish, which makes their financial situation whole. Sometimes annuities can be a good fit. Sometimes annuities aren't a good fit. It really remains to be seen, depending upon their situation. You have a website, which is soundincomestrategies.com. What can people find at that website? Well, they can really find the money management arm uh, of our firm. And, you know, where we really derive... Uh, the fixed income yields, and some of the traditional and non-traditional fixed income components that I've mentioned in our call today that really are the sweet spot of where folks should be, Jordan. I mean, when folks come into our office for the first time, they have two extremes. They have money that's in cash or in safe money, really not earning anything because they're afraid of the market or their radar is going off saying, you know, we're at a market peak, I don't like what's happening in politics, whatever the reason is, or they've got money at risk and they're fully committed. Um, to being risk in common stocks and mutual funds, etc. They can be you know, a bevy of things from domestic funds to domestic stocks to international, etc. So there's a middle ground in between those two extremes where the consumer today really needs to focus. They need to focus on the realm that's going to generate between 4 and 7% as a yield without being dependent upon the appreciation in the markets because we're not looking for very much appreciation going forward. Clearly. Okay, we're going to take a break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this half hour is Jeffrey Small. Uh, he is the CEO at Arbor Financial. You can find out more about him at his website, soundincomestrategies.com. We'll be back after this. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. 
Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Leadership is a vital skill set in today's competitive global economy. Being a leader is not enough. To succeed, you must optimize your performance and know how to imbue others in your organization with leadership skills. Practical, actionable leadership insights are the focus of Leadership Development News, hosted each Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, by Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler on the Voice America Business Channel. Doctors Greenberg and Nadler, who coach global leaders on how to be most effective, will share their insights and contacts. The path to leadership excellence begins here. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest for this half hour is Jeffrey Small. He's the president at Arbor Financial based in Melbourne, Florida. He also has a website called soundincomestrategies.com. Welcome back to the show, Jeff. Hey, Jordan. Thanks. So you have a book coming out called Financial Planning Right Side Up, uh, Why Financial Planners, Investment News, and Wall Street Create Dyslectic Investors and How to Correct That Vision. So what do you mean by dyslexia as it relates to investors? Well, you know, uh, Financial Planning Right Side Up is really a a good title for the book because it it, it speaks to the fact that financial planning is really kind of backwards. Um, They do everything backwards. You know, financial planning was so great we'd see major corporations and banks utilize financial planning to run their finances. They don't. They use financial engineering, including the Ace Hardware down the street. It's a mom-and-pop shop. They don't use financial planning to run their books. You know, they look at things from the big picture. They measure their efficiency. They look for ways to reduce their costs and improve their yields. And that goes hand-in-hand with financial engineering, which is really what we do. We really adopted a personal strategy to help folks measure the efficiency of their money, where financial planning doesn't look at costs. It overpromotes risk. And it never coordinates or creates a synergy with your goals and your money. And that's why I've written the book. You talk about the three culprits that have distorted investor focus. What are those three culprits? Well, of course, the overpromotion of risk, the understanding that the fact that, you know, if you're pulling money out of your portfolio, the geometric progression of your money completely changes, and that you have to understand the pattern of the market that we're in. Okay, so say we take your point of view that we're going to have non-performance, that the markets are not going to do very much for the long term here, um, and say that becomes your focus. How has that changed the way you would do financial planning compared to a traditional financial planner? I guess you're saying financial planners traditionally assume kind of an upward bias. Is that what you're saying? Well, they really do. Financial planning, you know, if you, if you get even the CFP designation, the Certified Financial Planning designation, all promotes risk and that you can't grow without risk. And they, they never measure the fact of, you know, where are you in the market today? Where is the market going to go? You know, are we in a long-term secular bear? Are we in a long-term secular bull? What's the pattern of the market? How do we modernize the money? And the last 15 years really emulates that to the T because we've had about 3.5% growth in the S&P in 15 years and about 5.6% growth in fixed income. So I think we're going to be in the same realm 
uh, of performance the next 10 to 15 years. I see very little growth in the market, and I think that's kind of backwards. Now, financial planning in general will say, look, we're going to diversify your portfolio, and because of this diversity, we're going to increase your potential for rate of return and lower your swing to a negative number if the, if the market drops. That methodology worked in the 90s. It doesn't work today. It's a very unmodern methodology, hence it's backwards. So we're going to turn it right side up. You also talk about the impact of the media and how the media is kind of very concentrated today. How should a investor uh, deal with what they're seeing in newspapers and magazines on TV as far as making their investment decisions? Well, you know, occasionally, and when the market's going up, you can get some good tips in the, in the media. But when the market's going down or going sideways, it's really hard to make money listening to the media. But, you know, it's, it's hard to get an honest perspective. The media, again, overpromotes risk, never looks at the true real issues in the market uh, in terms of what it's gonna, how it's going to affect the growth, and they kind of suppress information, so to speak, about what investors really need to know and appeal to their advertisers only. So why do they do that? Why are they suppressing information? Well, Jordan, if you and I were an institution and we wanted to start a mutual fund, and we did start a mutual fund, our goal would be to capture assets, keep them managed for as long as possible, charge a fee, and make money regardless of what the market does. So you tell me, how does that help the average investor? Because we really wouldn't care if we were starting that mutual fund, Jordan, if you and I really actually did that. We wouldn't care about the stage of the market that we were in. We would only care about keeping that money under management as long as possible. So our, our field force or our marketing brochures would say, if you diversify with us amongst this group of funds, you can expect this kind of rate of return, and we're going to outperform the market, which is clearly not the case long term. Most funds do not perform or even match the market, is what you're saying. That's correct. Yeah. You also have a section what you call Monkey See, Monkey Do, where you talk about financial advisors not having the right tools. Why is it that financial advisors are not set up to help consumers do well with their money? That's what they're supposed to be doing. Well, they, they're not allowed to have the right tools. And if you can be a stockbroker and tell people what to do with their money after just a one-week course, how does that make you competent? How does that make you certified? You know, and this is, we do a lot of um, public speaking and advocating and teaching uh, folks about finance down here in Florida. And one of the things we tell folks is you've got to work with an independent advisor. If you work with an independent advisor, they're going to have the universe of options and have the best training. The problem is when you work with a major firm, they're always cut from the same cloth. Every one of them is going to promote risk, never look at cost, and sell what the house recommends. And it's a house always wins mentality, so to speak. Yeah. You, you have an honorable mention uh, for a fourth culprit, which is the general public itself. How are they a, a culprit in getting bad returns? Well, just for lack of knowledge. You know, they just aren't getting the knowledge. The information that they really need to improve their returns is not being passed on to them. So we're making a concerted effort at Sound Income Strategies to change the investor methodology, not just locally, but on a national basis. We want folks to understand that there is a number of options for them in the space that will yield between 4 and 7% on an annualized basis without having to have the market grow. That's an actual yield, dividend, or interest. And so there's a whole section of investments there that folks really need to dial into if, or diversify into if they want growth going forward in their money. So a lot of retired people you're dealing with all the time probably still have a lot of money in CDs and money market funds and bank accounts pretty much earning zero these days. Are they very much fearful? And when you start talking to them about the various alternatives, the 4 to 7% yield, are they very much fearful of going out of the so-called safe areas into what you're recommending? 
You know, they're, they're really not because the cost of, of not earning that yield is pretty significant over time. And uh, there's nothing wrong with having some money in CDs and in money markets. Um, but if we can get into what we call non-volatile issues, issues that aren't going to be as volatile as, let's say, common stocks or mutual funds that invest in common stocks, that's a much safer place for them to be long-term. And so they're almost being forced into it. If they have their money earning nothing, they're not going to be very satisfied with what you're saying. Well, they, they, they really are. That, you know, they, there's, you know, they don't, they don't want to go into the market because we're at the peak. We're at a market peak right now with, with an earnings, with a corporate earnings recession, with a manufacturing recession, with unemployment teetering on the brink of recessionary numbers. And so there's a lot of warning signals out there that say, look, we can't invest in the stock market today. As a matter of fact, Jordan, we have the least amount of liquidity in the stock market that we've had in 10 years. I mean, uh, nobody's really talking about this on TV. Uh, it, they really should be discussing it. It's, it's very alarming. We have a divergence of the market where it's been going up since 2006, and volume has been going down every year since then. So, we, you know, there's lots of strange items going on in the financial world right now. There's less liquidity because there's less individuals trading, or companies have retired a lot of shares. There are not a lot of IPOs. What is the reason for less liquidity? Well, 10% of all the market activity since 2009 has been shareholder buybacks. You know, IBM buys billions of dollars of their stock, GM buys billions of dollars, and most of these corporations buy billions and billions of their stock. Um, but I think what it really speaks to is the fact that we have a decline in payroll, a decline in savings, a decline in confidence in the market, and uh, the market's at an all-time peak, and the smart money is going elsewhere. The market, smart money is looking for non-volatile issues and has been scrambling since January to find value, any value, in common stocks. They're looking for things that are stable, that are going to pay dividends or yields. You talk, we've talked mostly about accumulating money, but in retirement, a big issue also is withdrawing money. Now, you have to take something out when you hit 70 and a half out of an IRA, but what is your strategy that you help clients with in withdrawing money so they can live on it but still have their capital intact? That's a really great point. About from age 70 to age 80, if you're taking money out of your IRA uh, as a result of your required distribution, you have to net 5% to break even. In other words, if you want the same amount of money at age 70 that you're going to have at age 80, you have to earn 5% a year net of cost and net of market experience. And so the way to do that is to get into the fixed income realm. You have to make sure that your fixed income components, like the ones I've mentioned previously during our talk today, are going to generate around 5% a year. And if they do that, you're going to at least guarantee that your money's going to be at break-even or in the black. I mean, the whole idea of the IRS is that they want you to get your money out of the IRA by the time you die. I mean, they don't want it to be the same amount. They want it to be less, or otherwise you'll be taxed on it, right? Well, it's not the IRS's money, Jordan. I don't know. if I never heard of that one before. That's a good <laughs> one on me. But what we want to do is make sure that they don't run out of money. And if, they're, if their trajectory on their money is going negative every year as a result of their required distribution or the re result of no growth, that's bad, because that money's going to be passed on to their spouse and then to their kids. You know, and as they get older, they're going to have more financial needs or more, more potential expense. So we want to make sure we can keep that asset intact. That's a financial imperative. And if anybody's listening in our, in, our, in our show today, I hope you get with your advisor and find out how to do that if this conversation uh, describes you. Is that something you're seeing, is that people are going through their assets and running out of money before they run out of life? Well, what we see in financial planning in general, especially for the major wirehouse firms, is that nobody's really shown them how to make sure they're going to have enough income, how to keep their money intact, even though they're pulling out income out at the same time. Indeed. Well, we're good. So in about a minute or so we have left, why don't you kind of sum up 
what people can do following your strategies as opposed to the traditional financial planning that they're getting these days? Well, they need to work with us, to be honest with you, or they need to find an advisor that will be able to do the things that we do. Uh, increase your yield, decrease your cost, prepare your market, prepare your portfolio for uh, the drop that will occur at some point and extract as much risk as possible because there will be a drop at some point. And if your goal is income, well, then you want to you know, know how to get the most amount of income out of your portfolio as well. We can show you how to do that too. Very good. My guest this half hour has been Jeffrey Small. He's the CEO at Arbor Financial, which is based in Melbourne, Florida. Uh, you can find out more about him at his website, soundincomestrategies.com. Thanks so much for being a guest on the Money Answer Show, Jeffrey. Thank you very much, Jordan. Thank you, and we'll be back after the break with another guest. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790, 866-472-5790, Voice America Business Network. Capital Thinking takes you inside the worlds of policy, politics, law, and business. What happens in government, the legal arena, and the business world impacts your business every day. And we're going to take you on a behind-the-scenes tour of it all. Each week, we'll bring you unfiltered conversation with a variety of influential policymakers and leaders. Squire Patton Boggs will be your guide as Capital Thinking tours the halls of power. Join us for Capital Thinking on the Voice America Business Channel each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific Time. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. My guest for this half hour is Al Casado. He's the president at Summit CKS Summit Group. Uh, their website is summitgp.com. Welcome back to the show, Al. Thank you for having me, Jordan. Let's do a little bit of background about you and your background in financial services before you founded your own firm. Well, I've been at this uh, now for over 20 years. Uh, we founded uh, CCAS uh, Summit Group back in uh, 1998. Uh, we're an income planning firm. We primarily focus on uh, income-generating assets. Our typical client is somewhere in the ages of 50 and up. Uh, pre-retirees and retirees uh, only is primarily what we deal with, and we help them navigate through all the obstacles that happen through the distribution phase of their life. And so what are you hearing from clients these days coming in? They've got money maybe in CDs and money funds earning nothing, and they want to earn something. That's probably a pretty common situation. What do you tell people in that circumstance? Well, right now, the, the the number one concern for the people that we're seeing uh, t- uh, today is they're really worried about outliving their money. And 
you know, we, we know what's going on in the markets today uh, with all the volatility, with everything that's going on globally that's affecting our, our markets here um, uh, stateside. Um, there's a lot of angst and, and, and wondering what, what, what's next. Will, is there really going to be, will the rally continue? Will, will it fizzle out? Um, you know, so many people are, are, are relying on what I call if-come instead of income, and they're wondering, you know, if what I have today, will I have it tomorrow, would that be enough to suffice when I start taking money out to help me, you know, live the, the life that I want to, maintain the lifestyle that I want to through retirement? Is your view that interest rates are going to stay quite low and, in fact, negative in various parts of the world and people can't count on higher interest rates to live off of the income? You know, you know what, Jordan? That, you know, that's a great question. And um, right now I think the Fed has really put themselves in a, in a tough position because if, if, if there is a raise, you know, right now you know, they, were, they were going to do it four times. Now they said it was going to be twice. And now, you know, we're waiting to see what they're going to do again. But the thing is, is that, you know, with Treasuries being down and with, with the, if, if there is if most of the, uh, the you know, the, the economy, economies out there are going into negative territory. And what happens is if, if, if all of a sudden she starts, if Yellen starts raising those interest rates and you start getting a lower uh, treasury, what you're doing is you're, you're starting to create what we call a flat yield curve. And, you know, that's, that's just a recipe for, for probably a lot of things not going well because banks won't like to lend money in that kind of, those kinds of situations and things like that. So, you know, I, I think it's going to be really tough going forward. I think we're going to be in a very low interest rate environment for a while now. So what do you recommend to clients who want some safety but are facing this very low interest rate environment for quite a while? Well, I think what they need to look at is um, really look outside of the of what the traditional markets are concerned. I mean, you need to look at um, income-generating assets such as um, your bonds, your preferred, uh, your BDCs, um, fixed indexes, annuities out there. Um, there's all types of different things that can help you maintain the integrity of your of your of your of the income that's being generated. You know, there's 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 a lot of ways to get there. Um, and I always tell my clients that it's not how we get there. The fact is that we want to get there because, again, we want to maintain lifestyle through our retirement years. So we really need to look at other options that we can generate and kind of grow what we call growing the, your portfolio organically versus trying to do it through growth. So you're based in Clinton Township, Michigan. Do you deal with people all over the country or mostly in Michigan? Well, I deal with, I have clients in, in, in many different states, but uh, we are based out of Michigan. Most of our clients are from, from, the, from the Michigan area, correct? So if they go to the website, uh, which is summitgp.com, what kind of services can they find out about that you offer there? Well, they can see everything that we do. They can see our, what our, our philosophy is, what our platform is. Um, they can uh, view our videos. They can uh, educate themselves. I think today... Um, education is key. I think I tell my clients this every day, knowledge is power, and the more you know, um, the better you are. The, the days of you just being able to give uh, money to somebody and, and have them do something with it, I think, are, are, should be gone. Because nobody cares more about your money than you do. And the more you understand what's going on, the more you understand what's going on in the markets, the, the more you, under, you educate yourself on the alternatives, um, I think the easier, the wiser you get, the, the easier the decisions become. Now, one big area you deal with is people's 401ks, and particularly what happens when they leave a company, either voluntarily or involuntarily, or even if the company is sold out or closes down. So kind of 
go through what happens with somebody's 401k. They've got assets there in the case of a company either closing down or getting sold or one way or the other company not existing anymore. Okay. Well, you know, we dealt with that a lot. With some, We had some of that going on here in the Michigan area quite a few years back, back in the 08 uh, debacle. And basically what happens is when your 401k money usually holds several types of different contributions. Um, the contributions you put on are usually called salary deferral contributions. And now these always belong to you. So whatever you contribute will always belong to you. The company cannot take this money. It's yours by law. Now, most 401ks have a separate, um, what we call plan administrators, and they provide services for, for the plan, and they would not allow your employer to take the money from you. Now, the contributions your company puts in were either matching contributions or profit-sharing contributions. Some of this money may or may not belong to you, and it all really de- really depends on the vesting schedule. So most, most employees will have a vesting schedule, and the longer you're there, the, the, the more vesting you get into, into the program, So, which means that the longer you're with the company, the more money belongs to you, and whatever portion of your employer contributions that are yours are 100% vested, then belong to you. So that part of the money is always secure because it becomes part of your contributions once you become vested in it. So vesting is typically done over like a five-year period, maybe 20% a year for each. So say you're... It could, it, it could be. It's not, it's not a set thing. So, uh, companies have, they have the, the right to set any type of schedule that they want. Um, but you'll see mostly, most, a lot of vesting schedules are like five to seven years or sometimes five to ten years, depending on the size of the company. So say it's five years, and say you're three years into that, and the company shuts down or uh, is taken over or something like that, you'll get to keep 60% of what the match was and lose the other 20% because you haven't been there that long? Is that the way it works? Correct. Correct. Whatever you're not vested in belongs to the company. If they, if they set a vesting schedule for you, you can only take what you've already vested in. Do you think a lot of people understand these rules, or they're surprised when that happens? I think sometimes, well, when it comes to vesting, I think some people just forget. Um, you, you know, you've been at your company, and you sign all these papers when you first get in there, and, you know, you're going through HR, and you're signing this and signing that, and I think you just sometimes people just kind of forget that that happens. And you, you, you'll hear people complaining and saying, oh, my gosh, this is my money or not, but then you have, they have to be reminded that, you know, in, in their case, they might have had a vesting schedule. And so it's mostly that people just kind of forget because, again, it's, a, it's this little paperwork that you do when you first come into a new company and, and get, get started. So typically, people are going to invest their own money and the amount that they're vested the same way. Is that right? So is your money at risk, the part that you haven't received yet that hasn't been vested yet? Yes. Um, you know, when you make contributions to your 401k plan, your employer withholds the money from your paycheck and then sends it to your 401k, to the 401k plan. So if, so if the company shut down, um, your company, that the, the, the money that was withheld when it closed or filed for bankruptcy or anything like that, that uh, during that pay period, those contributions may be at risk. Okay? So if the, if, if the plan closed and they have not sent the money in, then that's the only part that, go, that would be at risk. Um, with uh, matching contributions or profit-sharing contributions, um, your employer must uh, deposit the funds by the tax filing deadline plus extensions, which can be as late as uh, October of that year after you earn the match or your profit-sharing. So, again, if they close um, because, of file, because of bankruptcy or they just close the program out before they make this uh, deposit, you may, you may receive part of that uh, money that's owed to you. 
you may not receive any of the part of the money that's owed to you. So those are the things to watch out for if a company closes, if a company shuts down your 401k. The part that's at risk is the part that they haven't sent in yet. What typically happens if a company gets taken over and the acquirer has a different kind of 401k or a different kind of match? What typically happens to the employees of the company being acquired? Well, what typically happens is that if they have a separate 401k, what you're going to do is you're going to maintain your own 401k the way you have it, the one that, from your current company. And then that, that one usually gets closed out. And typically, most companies will take that will take that 401k and give the option to the employee to roll that money over into their 401k, or the employee has the option of taking that 401k and creating what we call their own IRA and moving the money into transferring that money into their own personal IRA and being able to control the money themselves. Which is, you know, I always tell clients that whenever you get the opportunity to have control of your own assets, you should take, you should take advantage of that. Um, but you also need to think about things, too, when, you, when you're going to, um, when you do that, because then you lose the ability for loans and things like that. So, you know, there's, there's things to consider, and those are things that you should sit down with your advisor and really talk about, um, because sometimes it seems like a simple move, but then if you don't take all the other variables into account, you could be making a mistake also. So these are so-called self-directed IRAs you're talking about, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Just uh, yeah, you're 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 managing your own your IRA. You're creating a, your own your own IRA and creating the assets uh, where they get invested underneath that IRA. Correct. And when should you do a Roth IRA versus a traditional IRA to have different tax treatment? Well, Roth IRAs when you when you're looking at Roth IRAs is, is you're doing that for the purpose of of creating uh, tax free income in the future. Okay. So what you're doing is you're you're paying with with after tax dollars. Uh, you're seeding the money for five years, and then at the end, what you're doing is you're creating a tax-free income. And anytime you're given that opportunity, um, it's something that I think that anyone should, you know, you should jump on. It's just like I always use the analogy that um, if you were a farmer and the government um, came to you and said, um, you have a choice, Jordan, to pay taxes on the seed or pay taxes on the harvest, which one would you take? Yeah, I mean, the seed is going to be an awful lot less than the harvest, is what you're saying. Absolutely. So anytime you can pay taxes on the seed and not the harvest, then it's a win for you. So when you're in that position, um, whenever you can create any type of tax-free cash flow or tax-free income, um, that's a position that you really need to explore and, and see how it can position yourself in the future because we all know that taxes can only go which way. Well, people think up, yeah, yeah. So, up, up. I mean, we're we're at nineteen trillion in debt. Money's got to come from somewhere. So, um, taxation is probably at its lowest point now, and um, we've seen tax rates go through history as high as ninety percent at one time. So, anytime you have that opportunity to create tax-free income, it's a great opportunity to put yourself in a better position. And it's always better to pay tax on the seed than it is to harvest. So you're saying if you have a 401k that you want to roll over, it would be preferable to roll it into a Roth IRA, pay a one-time conversion tax, and then have it grow tax-free forever, as opposed to putting it into a traditional IRA where it may go in pre-tax, but you're going to be building up tax-deferred income that you'll pay tax on later. Is that what you're saying? No, not that, because it's not as simple as that. Again, just like with any other decision, you have to look at all the variables. You have to look at age. You have to look at you know, all time frames, you have to look at all that because, again, 
on the conversion, especially if you're coming from a 401k that all of a sudden has, you know, uh, three, four, five hundred thousand dollars in it, and you're sitting at age 60, and all of a sudden you get hit with a tax bill uh, on, on, on $500,000 of extra income is going to push you up to the 40% tax bracket, plus if you're in a state that pays taxes, you're over 40% on that, and you lose half of that, and you're sitting at age 60, and you have a market that's not helping you, probably not the best move for you. Now, you're a 20-year-old sitting with, uh, with, a, with an IRA out there, um, and you have the chance to convert it, um, there's a possibility for conversion. Or you can do what we call conversion schedules and do it portions at a time so you can spread it out over time um, so it doesn't hurt your tax wise. But anytime you make a move, you have to make sure that the taxation doesn't become your enemy. Yeah. So there's lots of different options is what you're saying, basically, depending on the situation. Absolutely. You just can't arbitrarily say that this, you can't make blanket statements and say, yeah, this is the way we should do it because um, every, every situation that we see is so different. So um, sitting down with somebody who really understands that and guides you through that whole process is really the key to having a successful rollover um, and transferring money into tax-free environments and things like that. Very good. We're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this half hour is Al Casado. He's the president at Summit at CKS Summit Group uh, in uh, Michigan. Uh, the website to find out more about him is at summitgp.com. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. What if every day was a good day for business? Because every decision you made was the best choice. What if you could receive regular input from credible sources and could acquire all the precise information you need exactly when you need it so you can make the right decision every single time? Because There's More challenges you to make better decisions. Join Laura Ellis every Monday at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific, and 2 p.m. GMT on the Voice America Business Channel and learn how to think differently for better decisions, better business. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest for this half hour is Al Casado. He's the president of uh, CKS Summit Group uh, based in Michigan. Uh, his website, summitgp.com. Welcome back to the show, Al. Thank you. So a little bit more on the 401k. So what if you went from one job to another and you forgot about your old 401k, you know, the statements, is this money lost or how do you find old 401ks sitting out there? 
Well, if you if you um, and this happens sometimes, you know, the way that uh, people today are moving jobs so often that um, sometimes you kind of forget where the money is, especially if you only accrued a little bit, you're only there a year or two, and you didn't accrue a lot of money, but it's still a 401k out there. Um, so if you have any money sitting out in a 401k plan from an employer that you've worked for for a while or for a long time, and you can't locate that employer, what you need to do is um, your employer may have listed you as a missing participant. So the first place you may want to check is by the National Registry to see if you are listed. You might also want to uh, try searching the Department of Labor's Abandoned Plan database. And in there you'll be able to see the, go through that database and see if your name is on there. Um, and it kind of gives you a listing of all the old 401ks that are sitting out there so you can be able to locate that. And so what do you have to do to prove that it's yours? Well, they're going to run you through a bunch of um, security questions. I mean, the security questions range, of course, from Social Security and and just different things about the the, the work you did or the job you did or things like that. So, um, once you find um, you know, once you find your name on the registry and everything else like that, then of course you have to go back to whoever the custodial was at that time, and they're the ones who still hold the asset for you, and they're going to run you through their all their security questions and everything like that, um, yeah. where you have to show that you actually work for that company. There are billions of dollars in these lost 401ks out there, right? There, There's a lot out there because, again, um, and, and it's more because of the fact that so many people are so transient and, and jobs are, you know, people are not, you know, the average person stayed at a job now. I think I read it was only like four to five years now. And so people are moving jobs con- continuously. So, again, in all those moves, some people... I uh, think that they've, they've rolled it over. Some people, they put it in the IRA, and then they come back and start thinking about it and say, oh, geez, you know, do I have a 401K? So I always tell somebody who's, who's moved a lot of jobs to, you know, take a minute, look at the registry, um, go in the abandoned plan database and see if your name is on there because you never know. Um, and it's also good for uh, not just employers, but um, if you have parents, too, or anything like that, and you're settling the estate for somebody, it's always good to go on this uh, site here too and see if they have a plan that was might have been left out there um, that's not that's that no knowledge to you. So it's also good for looking for any type of plan for anybody that you're working, you know, that you're with or anything like that. If you're the trustee or if you're the executor of a of an estate, there is a national website missingmoney.com which allows you to track unclaimed assets, 401ks, and all these other things as well. So say you find one out. Uh, and that money went in pre-tax into the 401k. When you roll that, say, into a traditional IRA, not a Roth, is that a tax-free event, or is there some uh, tax because it went in pre-tax and now it's going into an after-tax well, account? Yeah, well, if it's your, if it's your money, then um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a non-taxable event if you're rolling it into your own IRA. Okay? So if you're transferring directly from a 401k into an IRA. Now, remember that if... If, a, if, if somebody takes money from their 401k and they mail a check to you and then you're going to roll it over into an IRA, anything that comes from a 401 that comes to you has a 20% mandatory withholding on it. So, yeah. so it's really important to know that if you want no taxes, if you want, if you want the IRS to be out of that whole equation, that you, that you create a transfer and not a rollover from the 401k. Yes. And what if you have loans against that 401k when you're an employee there and then you leave the company either voluntarily or involuntarily? What happens then? All right. 
that's where the, you know the, the the news is not really that great. Um, you have sixty days to repay that loan, or it will be considered distribution, and it will be taxable income to you. Uh, this type of di- distribution is reported every year at the end of the year, and then what you're going to do is going you're going to be receiving a 1099R from your your uh, company, and if you're under 59 and a half, you will owe 10% penalty early withdrawal on it, and also um, tax on the distribution in addition to income taxes. So you know there's a lot of things with when it comes to loans that you need to be careful with because remember, anytime you take a loan from a 401k. When you repay that loan, you're also going to be repaying that with after-tax dollars. So, for so if you owe a hundred dollars and you're in the twenty-five percent tax bracket, you really would need to make a hundred and twenty-five dollars to pay off that hundred dollars. Yeah, and a lot of people are surprised they have loans outstanding when they're four hundred one k and they forget about it. And when they leave the company, all of a sudden it becomes due, and that's it's a bit of a crisis for them. Yeah, yeah, it's a big issue. Um, taking you know when. Uh, Taking, I always tell anybody that uh, taking a loan from your 401k is not a first option. It's really a last resort option. When you've yeah. gone everywhere else and and can't find it, then maybe you might want to loan against it because what happens, too, is that, that the studies have been done. If you do it once, you're going to keep doing it over and over, and then what people do is because they're trying to pay these loans back, then they reduce the amount that they're saving, and then they're missing out on matches. They're do, doing all that kind of stuff, and then at the end, when you're retired, now you just hurt yourself. So you exchange uh, for temporary relief and long-term suffering. Yeah. Before we close, I just want to talk briefly about a new thing that's happening in the financial world, which is the so-called fiduciary rule coming out of the Labor Department, which looks like it's going to go into effect over the next year or so. What impact, maybe just tell briefly what the fiduciary rule is and what impact will that have on the relationship between financial advisors and their customers? Well, the fiduciary rule, in, 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 in theory, it's a good rule because what it does is it says that, um, and I know this is going to sound strange, but it says that all, all advisors are now, to, are, now, are now held to a higher standard, which means that they will be held to the standard of doing what's in the best interest of the client. And I know that seems kind of crazy um, because you should always have the best interest of your client, but typically there are some people that are... Uh, they were not licensed as as what we called um, investment advisor representatives or registered investment advisories, um, and um, you were maybe just a stockbroker, just an insurance person, or anything like that. Uh, that standard was a standard of suitability. So all you had to, all, all you had to do was prove that something was suitable, and you're okay. Uh, under the new standard, what you have to say you have to prove is not that it was suitable, but that you what you actually recommended was in the best interest of the client. So you're putting the client ahead of yourself under the new ruling. Um, now, because of all the, the verbiage and everything that's on there, there's a lot of things that they need to work out, and whether or not it'll really go into effect in April of next year, you know, that's a pretty ambitious, um, it's a pretty ambitious goal, and I don't really see it happening in April. But say, whenever it happens, say it does happen, what would be the impact on customers if this does go into effect whenever? Well, the, the impact on the client really, uh, the impact on their client really is not much um, because well, all they know now is that, that they, 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 are, they should be receiving advice in the best interest of, of, of the client. The big changes are coming to the advisor because they have to, they have to um, rework all their, all their new, you know, to, they have to redo everything that we do to comply with the rules now because there's a lot of reporting that goes on with this now. 
Um, so there's there's a lot of things to do mostly for your advisor. For you as the as the individual, um, really what you're getting instead of a, uh, a suitable recommendation in most cases, unless you're already working with somebody who is licensed as, a, as an investment advisor representative or as a registered investment advisory, then what you're getting is, is advice that's based on your best interest as yeah. opposed to advice being based on suitability. Very good. Well, thanks so much. My guest this half hour has been Al Casado. Uh, he's the president of CKS Summit Group based in Michigan. You can find out more about him at his website, which is summitgp.com. Thanks so much for being on the show, Al. Thank you, and have a great day, Jordan. Thank you, and we'll be back with another edition of The Money Answer Show next week. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and The Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.